Welcome to the Jonathan Shuttlesworth podcast. To stay connected, go to revivaltoday.com. And now, here is Evangelist Jonathan. Before you're seated, I'm going to play something for you. I'm glad that you came tonight. And um, it's not going to be a wasted trip, I can promise you that. You know, I, I, I got into it with somebody on uh, Twitter one time, and they didn't know what to say because they're one of my Baptist friends. And Baptist people should know this better than anybody because they teach it the most. You can be seated. I... Uh, there's a, there's a phrase that you learn, depending on what you study in university. It's called confirmation bias. So in other words, if you think God's judging America, then you're going to notice every time somebody posts a video, somebody getting knocked out at a Taco Bell at 2 in the morning and say, well, look, look where the country's headed. And then if you, if you see things the way that's correct, which is, yes, Jesus said before he comes back, things would get worse and worse. There's not going to be some all clear uh, before Christ comes back where we're living in some golden age utopia in the world that will get worse and worse But the Bible says in Malachi chapter 3 turn there with me real quick Malachi chapter 3 This is an important piece of doctrine that will affect your entire Christianity Malachi chapter 3 I read this one of the other nights. We got new people coming in all the time. Malachi chapter 3, verse 16. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with each other, and the Lord listened to what they said. In his presence, a scroll of remembrance was written to record the names of those who feared him and always thought about the honor of his name. They will be my people, says the Lord of hosts. Everybody say, they will be my people. So say this, God has a people. The Bible's telling you about a separation that will happen here before Christ returns. They will be my people, says the Lord of hosts. On the day when I act in judgment, they'll be my own special treasure. And I will spare them as a father spares an obedient child. Then you will again see the difference between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who serve him not. And that line of distinction is becoming very clear. Bible says in Amos 9.13 that in the last days, the plowman will overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes him who sows seed. I, the Lord, will hasten it in my time. That's talking about accelerated harvest, that uh, you're not going to plant and wait nine months and then harvest your crops. The day will come where the harvesters will overtake the people who are sowing seed. Well, you can see that that's called supernatural acceleration. You can see that right now. You know, people used to have a, a 35-year drug addiction problem. Now people get into drugs, they're dead in nine months, 14 months, just like that. You don't, you know, you're not going to have a fentanyl problem when you're 20 and be 60 struggling with fentanyl. It just takes you out. So there's a supernatural acceleration with sin, but then on the flip side, there's a supernatural acceleration with righteousness. If you, if you've watched what by the grace of God, I don't even say we've done, I just say has transpired in Pittsburgh and now starting this church in Texas. That's a sign of supernatural acceleration. I, I grew up in church where a pastor would take a church of 200 people and over the course of 25 years, if he did a good job, would grow it to 320, 380. And that guy was there for 30 years, 35 years, 40 years. And uh, that was good. And then now to have what should take 25, 30, 40 years. Then you heard what the Holy Spirit had already been stirring in Pastor Lou. 
And then he announced that we're going to start four churches. And he, t- he told me people have been asking him, how are we going to do that? If you ask questions like that, you don't even understand the Holy Ghost. Because there's no way to tell how it's going to happen. You obey God and God makes it happen. Jesus is the Lord of the harvest. Can you say amen? amen? So I want to emphasize both sides of that because you have some churches that are just in la-la land. They don't talk about sin or the blessing. They just, you know, open poetry night. I don't know what people do. Then there's some people that they only emphasize the sin part. You believe all these churches that are having drag queens in and yeah, Jesus said one of the signs before it comes back is many will depart from the faith. You can't depart from something you were never in. I'm going to depart from Salem, Oregon tonight when I finish preaching. To depart from Salem, Oregon, I have to have at least been in Salem, Oregon once. So the Bible's not saying sinners are going to get more sinful. He's saying that people that were once in the faith are going to absolutely lose their their candlestick that's uh, in the lampstand. And remember, I dealt with it one night a little bit, that Jesus wrote seven letters back to churches, and five of them got a failing grade where he told them, if you don't stop doing what you're doing, your candlestick will be taken away. Your, your, your candle will be taken out of the candlestick of the Lord. It was a warning to Christians. So this teaching that you can do whatever you want, grace of God covers everything, that'll, that'll grease the track for you to go straight into hell. Paul, the apostle that wrote about grace, said, I keep a close watch on myself, what I teach, and how I live. Lest after preaching to others, I myself become a castaway. I have that attitude. I I talked to my Uncle Ted today. You know, we talk about doctrine and preaching and what's the best thing to be doing right now. And what's the Lord speaking to you about what's coming down the pike? Any kind of teaching that just relaxes you, that everything's fine. How many know Jesus already died for all our sins? There's nothing you're going to do tomorrow that surprises him. That That's a partial truth. Yes, All of our sins have already, the price for all of them have been paid. But there's still only one kind of sin that God forgives. Repented of sin. Unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. You can't just say, Lord, I just repent for everything I'm going to do this coming week. That doesn't work. That's making a decision to live in sin. So you have, because sin, the Bible is clear, that in the last days, sin and wickedness will abound. The Bible says sin has some laws to it. We have a senator uh, uh, that's getting called for to step down. They found out he was taking bribes. And uh, boy, I always wondered how those guys can make 200000 a year and be worth $400 million. It turns out some of them get their pockets stuffed with gold from Egypt. And so he got caught. Well, why did he get caught? Because sin carries a law with it. Be sure your sin will find you out. It is impossible to, the Bible says, he who hides his sin or covers his sin will not prosper because it's impossible to hide your sin. Be sure your sin will find you out. You will get busted if you try to hold sin. Then there's another law with sin. The wages of sin is? Now, here's the mistake people make. If sin brings, sin carries some laws with it. Number one, it will be exposed. Be sure your sin will find you out. Number two, it carries with it, it magnetizes death. Alcohol will kill my, and where, where Satan tricks people is because it doesn't kill you the first 10 seconds you do it. That's what he did with Eve. Eat the fruit. You're not dead. See, God's a liar. Yeah, it might not kill you on night one, but it, it looses, it magnetizes death. Basically, God made a list of everything that short circuits life 
and called it sin. He didn't make a list of things to take the fun out of life. He said all of these things, if you engage in them, sexual immorality, outbursts of anger. Look how many NFL players, Major League Baseball players, have lost their careers from one outburst of anger. Punched their girlfriend. It was on a security camera, and they got released from the contract, and nobody picked them up again. Went to jail. The Bible's telling you about things that will work against God's plan of life, and he called them sin. It brings death. Now, because sin magnetizes death, you know, I, I don't know. This might be the first time I've ever explained this part of it in public. But um, if you study sociology, they tell you that there's certain things they can't figure out. They can't figure out why poorer sections of a city have higher sickness rates, even if they make free health care available. It, it, in poverty, there's more violence and there's more sickness. So where, say this out loud, where sin abounds, death abounds. The more sinful a place is, you're going to find shootings, you're going to find killings, you're going to find rape that goes up. And so there's sections of America that have more sin and they have more death. Here's the problem that, 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 that they have uh, in Christianity is people have made the wrong assumption that since there's more death, God is judging that place. Well, that place is really sinful. New Orleans has a hurricane. Uh, San Francisco has an earthquake. See, God's judging those people. In fact, when that hurricane hit New Orleans, they were scheduled to have a gay pride parade that week, and God judged it. Well, if that's true, then we would be a nation that's destroyed because every town has a gay pride parade now. So why did God just pick one? God is not judging America right now. We are in, okay, so it's dead quiet, so go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I'll show you from the Bible. Second Corinthians, the fifth chapter. Verse 17. If you would put it up behind me when I read it in the King James Version. I'm going to read out of the New Living, but... If they butcher a couple of verses to make it easier to read, I'm going to go read it in the King James. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. If any man be in Christ, he is a... How many know we're all sinners saved by grace? No. that's not. It says actually the exact opposite. If any man be in Christ, he is a... New means new. Creature comes from the tense create. It's not God cleaning up a sinner and then the same person. The old life is dead. Behold, how many things have become new? If any man be in Christ, that's where you get the term born again Christian from. I'm not a sinner saved by grace. I was a sinner. I got saved by grace and now I'm a new creature. Can you say amen? If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. The old life is dead. Behold, all things and all means all. New mind. Bible says you have the mind of Christ. Your spirit, he who's joined to the Lord has become one spirit with him. And your body now houses the glory of God. And though your flesh uh, still has been marred by sin, and it is appointed unto every man once to die, and after that the judgment, you have been made new. And even your body will be made new uh, in the resurrection. Can you say amen? amen? All of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task. This is a Christian's job of reconciling people to him. 
I mean, no, we just believe in God's going to touch Oregon. No, that's your job. It's your job to get full of God's power and as his hands and feet and mouth go touch Oregon. Can you say amen? He has given us this task. So a Christian has a task. I just rest in his grace. No, then you're, you're in disobedience. Grace is an empowerment to fulfill the task that God's called you to do. Amen? He has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. What? I just know God sees what's going on right now in America, and he's angry. God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. Okay, let me get, um, let me get my, my helper here. Let me get two of them. Come on. So you're, uh, you're with me. Uh, grab your uh, Bible again, if you will. Get your notebook underneath instead. That'll be better because I'm going to use it as sin. I don't want to use the Bible as sin. Take that. Okay. This is his sin. Now you hold it. That's his sin. All of sin and come short of the glory, fallen short of the glory of God. When Christ went to the cross, that crucifixion was supposed to be a long, torturous death, three to four days. So why did Christ die in a handful of hours? Because when he hung on the cross, we dealt with this last night, they didn't ju- he didn't just go to death. The Bible says he took, he carried away our sin in his body. Does the Bible say that or not? So you be Christ. Give him your sin. So, okay, and then this will, this will also help you with something. I'll be God the Father. Me and the Son have a relationship because he has no sin. Then he goes to the cross. Give, give him your sin. I can't look at my son because of the sin that he took. But what happened was he used to be unable to look at me. But because Christ took my sin, when he turned his face from his son... He turned his face toward me. Can you say amen? So then he takes the sin. And the Bible says he buried it in the ground. Walk over here. That'll be the, uh, Joseph's tomb. You go in there. And then you lay that down on the stair. They buried Christ. When he was buried in the ground, he buried my sin. Then when he rose, he rose again triumphant over sin. Now, okay, grab that again if you would. I don't mean the bark orders. But I'm from the East Coast, so we're straight to the point. Okay. Now, you every, instead of him being him, now where I'm giving it to you in the individual sense last time, now he is mankind. Because Jesus didn't just die for his sin. He died for my sin and your sin and the whole world's sin. There's nothing more for Christ to do. There's not anything left for Jesus to do. Lord, save this land. What do you want him to do? You want him to come back to America and die on a cross in Washington, D.C.? The first cross was good enough. So it's not about Christ doing more work. It's about us carrying out how can they call on him whom they've never heard. How can they hear unless there be a preacher? So now he's, okay, he's everybody. He's everybody's sin. So Christ takes his sin. Go ahead and take it. And buries all of our sin. So now there's no sin for anybody to answer for right now. Now, you bury the sin, you rise from the dead, come stand on the platform, you're ascended into heaven, seated at the right hand of God. 
But now the clock is ticking. So let's say now I'll be me. My sins are answered for. Jesus did it. But I have a limited time offer to receive that gift. Anybody in here that's been alive for any number of years, you've been sent an offer by email or something. You don't check your email that often. And when you opened it up, it was expired. You found a gift card somebody gave you two Christmases ago. And it was only good for one year. And so you went to use it at Chick-fil-A and said, and then their real cheery face, I'm very sorry, you can't use that right now. But, and, and, and you felt like punching them, but you didn't. So I commend you. But you, you could, the offer expired. I said earlier in the week, when your philosophy professor says, what's the meaning of life? Life is the space of time that God gives every man and woman to repent before they die and enter into eternity. Now, I'm a proud American. Yeah, I, I believe there's some truth to that. But, you know, I don't think you have to get carried away. The Bible teaches good principles. But, you know, there's also good principles in yoga and um, Buddhism and Eastern religion and crystals. So whether it's Buddha or Jesus or Muhammad, the important thing is just that you find whatever works for you, bro, and live a good life. Well, you, you have, you're free to say that. But no religious leader, they all taught things. Nobody died for your sin. Nobody shed their blood, for without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. There's a difference between teaching people about peace and dying to destroy sin so, and say, I am peace. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. He that believes on me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Can you say amen? And then when Jesus said that, he knew he was putting himself up against Every religious leader currently, past, and future. So he said, don't believe me because of, the, of what I say. Believe me because of the work that you see me do. For I will allow this temple to be taken down. But three days later, my father will give me power to raise it back up again. And on the third day, Satan had him sealed in a tomb with a battalion of soldiers guarding the tomb. Tell you what, if I was one of those soldiers, I'd have called in sick. I don't even mean, I don't even mean cause like I know the Bible or anything. I, hey, um, we have to go out guys on platoon. What are we doing? Guarding this tomb. Who's trying to get into it? No, the guy that's dead in there's, they said that he's going to come out. Okay. I'm out. Well, that'll be a dishonorable discharge, dishonorable discharge away. My friend, I'm not doing going on no Scooby-Doo mission. And on the third day, uh, one angel appeared, not Michael, not Gabriel, some unnamed angel, Lenny the angel, <laughs> not, even, not even the top angel. He appears and every soldier did what? Fell to the ground. I don't see anywhere in the Bible where people fell down in the presence of God. I'm sorry you bought a Bible on discount because it was missing pages in the book of Luke. And that was one angel. Jesus said, where two or three are gathered, I'm there in their midst. Can you say amen? And the stone was rolled away. And when they were coming to do the Jewish burial practices, they were debating amongst themselves. How are we going to get the stone rolled away to minister to his body? But when they came, the stone had already been rolled away. But they still did not perceive or believe the things that he had told them. So she goes inside, the body's gone, and she starts to cry. And a man that she thought was the gardener said, 
Woman, why weepest thou? Why are you crying, in other words? And she said, they have stolen my Lord's body, and I don't know where they've laid him. But that man that she thought was a gardener was another angel. And the angel said, why seek ye the living amongst the dead? For the Jesus that you're looking for is not here. He is alive, and he lives forevermore. But that's not the end. He's alive. Everybody say, he's alive. And he lives forevermore. And then there's a third part. Now go tell everyone. How come you Christians can't keep your religion to yourself? It's against our religion to keep our religion to ourselves. We're under orders to go tell everybody because Jesus didn't die for us. He died for everybody that the whole world will be saved. Then Acts chapter 1 verse 11. The Bible says as he was blessing the disciples, gravity lost its hold on him. And he began to ascend into heaven. And the angels appeared, Acts 1.11, and said, why do you stand here staring into the sky? See, that's that. And I don't get into all that. I know if that angel didn't come, there'd be two gold-plated footprints in Israel, and you pay 50 bucks and wait in line. And when it's your turn, every Christian. I feel his presence still here. No, you don't. He's not a relic. He's alive. He's coming back again. And Christianity isn't to celebrate where he was. It's to get filled with him and take his presence everywhere you go and to tell the hurting and the lost and the addicted and the dying. You don't have to die in your sin. One paid the price for you. I mean, that's as plain as I can make it. I don't know. So... Ye men of Galilee, why do you stand here staring into the sky? For one day, just as you saw him go, he will return in his body, his glorified body. And he ain't coming back this time as a giggling baby. He's coming back as king of kings, lord of lords, and he'll rule with a rod of iron. Because um, this is almost like, it's not almost like it is if you study it. The Bible says we are Christ's ambassador. Say, I'm Christ's ambassador. Christ's ambassador. Now, if, if there's going to be an army that attacks a nation, before they leave, the ambassador is warned of impending attack and give terms. And I haven't forgotten about you guys. Stay there. Plus, you look nice. People should see you. <laughs> the ambassadors will tell the people, I'm giving you a chance to get out of here. Even before we dropped the bombs on Japan, they, they, they sent those letters to everybody telling them to get out of those cities. So part of what we're doing is warning that though the, uh, the world is not under judgment right now because Christ satisfied that judgment, there is judgment coming. This is the time, the Bible says, right where I read it, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 into 6. This is the time of God's wonderful favor. For who? Everybody say everybody. As a preacher, I would never, it would be unscriptural, stand up and say, now some of you God will save tonight. Others of you, you've done so much wrong, he's very angry with you. That, if you heard that, most of you say, that's not right. No matter who we are, what we've done, we can all be forgiven by his name. Because this is the time, no matter what you've done, it's buried right now. But if you knock that life rope away and say, no, I don't need you. 
Then, when you come to the end of your life, or the trumpet sounds, and the ambassadors are pulled out ahead of the invasion. Now, do me a favor, grab, grab, grab that for me. I have rejected your sacrifice, and the Bible says, so now the sin remains on my head. Because I, God sent his son, not an angel, not a goat once a year. He sent the blood. In the Old Testament, they used bloods of bulls and goats, and it lasted for one year. But then one came named Jesus, who shed his sinless, spotless, holy blood. When I had my, my daughter, I got ministered to at the OBGYN because the lady said something about, I was there sitting with Adonis, and they said something about Camila's blood. She was in the womb. They said that she'll get her blood from the father, from, from me. And when she said that, I said, that's always a child gets its blood from the father. She said, yes. Well, then it made sense. <coughs> Jesus had an earthly mother, but who was his earthly father? He didn't have an earthly father because if he had an earthly father, he would have been born in sin and he couldn't have paid the penalty for us. But because he was born, that's what Mary said. I believe you that I'm going to have a baby, but I've never known a man. Exactly. The thing that shall be, the child that will be conceived in you shall be holy. He will be born of God. The, doesn't say like in Mormon books, God will have sex with Mary. It's not what it said. It said the spirit of the Lord will overshadow you and you'll become fruitful. And so Jesus was born. That's why when you heard that idiot down in Georgia at Christmas say whether Jesus was born of a virgin or not isn't important as long as he was born. And now it's coming out that he's totally off doctrinally and going the way of apostasy. When people start going against the doctrines of Christ, you know there's a problem. Because if Jesus was born of a man, of a human man, and it was just a story, then he had sin and he could not be the offering for my sin or your sin and we're all going to hell. But he was born of a virgin. He was tempted in all points like we are, but he never sinned. He went to the cross and died and shed his blood. That was supposed to be my blood that was shed. But he exchanged his blood for my blood. He was buried in my behalf. And then on the third day, he rose from the dead, never to die again. And because he lives, I can live also, for he is the head. And I'm the body. Somebody say he rose from the dead. And say he never died again. That's right. If he died again, then we're still finished. But he never, unlike Lazarus who got raised from the dead. And the, the widow from Nain's son. Everybody Jesus raised from the dead died again. But Jesus never died again. Hallelujah. He conquered death. And I got news for you. The strongest thing that Satan has at his disposal is death. As bad as cancer is, it's not as bad as death. The whole reason you fear cancer is because of death. As bad as addiction is, death is worse. Because the whole reason you fear addiction is it leads to death. Jesus took the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Jesus conquered the biggest gun that Satan has in his arsenal. And because he conquered the biggest gun, there's nothing the devil has in his arsenal that can take out the born-again child of God. You have a reason to rejoice. You're coming out of here free tonight in the name of Jesus Christ. 
Can you say amen? Somebody say he never died again. Then he ascended into heaven. The Bible says he seated, became seated at the right hand of God, at the place of authority. Philippians chapter 2. What I'm preaching right now is called Christology, the study of Christ. As, you know, people from Europe and America, they like Jesus. And then if you're in Asia, it's Buddha. We can see a weaved stories through all these books. And we know that whether it's Buddha or Christ or Muhammad, people have different names. No. There's one name, Jesus. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 2 that because Jesus left the heights of heaven and died a criminal's death on the cross, God has raised him to new heights in heaven, Philippians 2, 5 to 11, and has given him a name that is above, not equal to, above every name. That at the mention of the name of Jesus, everything above the earth, on the earth, and under the earth has to bow at the mention of that name. Did you ever notice that if you go on The View or CNN or CNBC, you can talk about God or karma or anything generic. But if you say the name Jesus, they go to a commercial. Two hosts get up and walk off the set because God's generic. It means a million things to a million people. But Jesus is a specific name that has invested in that name. Power over all the power of the devil. The name of Jesus has power over all depression, all mental illness, all addiction. God gave him that name. If you know that name, shout it out. The name of Jesus. And that's why songs should have the name of Jesus in it. That's why when you pray, you shouldn't say, in your name we pray. Say the name of Jesus. Gave him a name. So his name was given to him by God with Mary. They said, Mary, don't go to a Christian bookstore and pick out a name in a baby name book. You shall call him Jesus, for he shall save the people from their sins. It was conferred on him. Then he earned it by conquest when he obeyed God. The way up in the kingdom is the way down. Because Christ left heaven and died in the filth of this earth, a criminal's death, God has exalted him to new heights in heaven and has given him a name that's above every name. You know, the Bible says in Acts chapter 3, when Peter prayed for that crippled man and he got up, Peter said, why do you stare at us as if we've done this by our own godliness? Let me plainly state that faith in the name of Jesus has made this man to walk again and you all know how crippled he is. Then he says it again two verses later. Let me say again that faith in the name of Jesus, faith in the name, when you understand how that name came about, then you don't just put it on a tag at the end of a prayer. You let that thing pop out of your mouth knowing that all power in heaven and earth resides in that name. You foul cancer in the name of Jesus. I adjure you to come out. At that name, demons flee. Can you say amen? Amen. Yeah. And so then the Bible says, he's coming back again. Say he's coming back again. Oh, yeah. He's going to touch down in his body on the top of the Mount of Olives and split it in half. That's why every demon-possessed dictator and world ruler is obsessed with that city called Jerusalem because the devil knows that's where Christ is going to set up shop. So he's going to set up an antichrist before him who will come into the temple. 
They're rebuilding a new temple right now. They have the plans for it, getting ready to build it. They could recreate the temple of Moses in under 24 hours and do their blood sacrifice there. The red heifers are being bred right now. If it feels like things are different, if it feels like on the inside you can tell time is coming to an end, that's not something you cooked up. We are spiraling to the end of this age. It's going to culminate with the rapture, the tribulation, and then there's going to be a one world ruler, that Antichrist, who rules from Jerusalem for seven years. But at the end of that seven years, when he gathers the armies of the world to attack Israel, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, will come back with a commanding shout and will destroy the Antichrist, not in a fight, with the breath of his mouth and with the splendor of his coming. And he shall reign forever and ever. He shall reign forever and ever. He's not hanging up on a cross with his rib cage showing. He's got a robe. He's got eyes with flames like flames of fire. Feet like bronze refined in a furnace. A two-edged sword comes out of his mouth. He has a robe that's dipped in blood. And he's coming back again. This is not the time of God's judgment. But if you reject it, then the sin remains on your head. And you're going to have to stand before God and say, Since you slapped my son in the face, who I sent for you. Now you answer for your sin. And there's no answer to be given. They're going to throw you in hell. I don't care what preacher tells you the opposite. Have you noticed? Every church preached the exact same thing. For 2,000 years. And in the last 12 years. Well you know we, we need to rethink. No, no, no. There's nothing to be rethought. You think you're smarter than the church fathers? With your little marijuana soaked brain. And church of 21 people. The Bible says they excuse sin because they hate the light for their deeds are evil. Oh, yeah. I, I realized it now. I realized it then when I went to public high school. The reason I'd have a teacher single me out. Jonathan, your dad's an evangelist. You believe the Bible. You believe in sin. It wasn't because they wanted to have an intellectual debate. It was because if they lined their life up. With that book, they'd have to kick their living girlfriend out of their house. They'd have to put their sin away and repent. So rather than be confronted with the power of the word, they decided to mock it and make fun. The Bible says in the last days, scoffers will arise who laugh at the truth and follow their own evil desires. That's the day we're in right now. But you better make up your mind tonight. I'm not going with the crowd. There is a broad way that leads to destruction for the many that choose the easy way. But brother, I made up my mind. As for me and my house, we're going to go on the straight and narrow path and nothing's going to stop us. Say it so the devil can hear you. I live in this world. But I'm not of this world. Say, I don't care what this world decides to do. I've made up my mind. I have decided to follow Jesus and never turn back. Hell yeah. If anyone wants to be my disciple, he must take up his cross daily and follow me. There's a cost to Christianity. I'm going to fly home tonight on a Falcon 2000 paid for. He's a prosperity preacher. But when they label you a prosperity preacher, they think you don't know about that other part. I got the whole thing, baby. 
I've got holiness. But let me tell you something. Just like there's a penalty for sin, there is a reward for holy living and for taking up that cross. Whatever it costs you up front, the rewards are priceless because God blesses his people in the midst of wickedness. If you've never confessed your sin, I'd do it tonight before I leave. I'd make up my mind. I'm going to lay my head on my pillow tonight. And know I have peace with God. That my sins are all forgiven. You know, I'm, I'm in Oregon. I know Oregon. I've been here twice, so I'm an expert. People think, people think Oregon is some liberal place, but it's like every other state in the United States. You got two blue counties and dark red. And you talk to sinners out in the woods that don't go to church. They hate the evil that's going on in Washington, D.C. Everybody can tell something's up. That people are destroying the country from the inside. But they don't, they don't know how to react to it. Do you want to put, do you want to know how to give a middle finger to the World Economic Forum and Viacom and $10 trillion of public school and television and movie programming to get you to hate God and break up your marriage? You want to know how to, how to stick it to them? Make up your mind tonight. From this day forward, on Sundays, I'm going to get up as the Father. I'm going to get my family ready for church. We're going to be found in the house of God. I'm going to train my children in the way they should go. And when they grow old, they'll not depart from it. Hallelujah. Stay up with me. I preach better if you guys stand beside me. Oh, thank God for two black angels. <laughs> Sounds like a motorcycle club. Somebody shout hallelujah. hallelujah. Oh, yeah. What you're doing tonight, this is why I have a problem. This is what started the whole thing off with me. God's judging America. America's so wicked. Oh, is that true? Are we in this room with nine people? Or is the parking lot over full? On a Friday night with perfect weather. You're not at the lake. There's going to be thousands more people watching online right now. That have made up their mind. I don't care what they told me to do in high school. That premarital sex is normal. That you're some kind of loser. If you haven't lost your virginity by 14 or 15. I make up my mind. I'm going to live for God in an unrighteous world. The crowd's growing. The anointing's coming upon people. The devil will not have the last say in America. God's church will make one more run before Jesus comes back. Come on, give Jesus a great big hand clap. Give Jesus the biggest hand clap. Take 60 seconds and lift him up. Lift him up for he's worthy. He's worthy. He's got a bride. He's coming back for a glorious church without spot or wrinkle. And I know Christians. I've grown up around them. If I pass the mic around right now, I say, oh no, I believe that's true, but I've just been going through a lot and I'm not, yeah, but think about it. There's a hundred people in this room that the truth is the devil already hit you with his best shot. And it wasn't even enough to keep you out of a Friday revival meeting. The devil might have had the first laugh, but you will laugh last because this is the victory that overcomes the world. 
This is the victory that overcomes the world. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Somebody shout hallelujah. hallelujah. Say it right out loud. The Lord is good. And his mercy endures forever. One more time. The Lord is good. And his mercy endureth forever. Now lift your hands and begin to thank God that the anointing is coming upon you right now. Devil can kiss my gospel grits if he thinks he's going to have this generation. I believe God's judging us. So li listen up now. This lady that I follow, I like her a lot. She's a good lady. Christian lady. People just get sad, you know, and then they, they tweet out of their emotions or post Facebook because they're having a bad day. She wrote, God is judging us in all caps. But she's Baptist. So I, I know how to talk Baptist. Just like I know how to talk liberal. I get my daughter out of school. I say, with this new variant going around, I'm just going to take her with me for a few days just to be safe. Okay, no problem. Yes, we understand. <laughs> so she's Baptist. God is judging us, all caps. Us includes me. This is not the time of God's judgment. Why? Because Christ, the rapture hasn't happened yet. And God never poured his judgment out on any place while his children were still there. Did Noah have to swim to the ark? Did he have to tread water for 40 days and 40 nights holding on to a log? No. No rain fell until Noah was sealed in the boat. Not one drop of rain fell and angels shut the door. No fire and brimstone fell till angels and his lot delayed. Angels hurried him out of Sodom and Gomorrah and then the fire fell. As it was in the days of Lot, as it was in the days of Noah, so it'll be in the days when the Son of Man comes. This is not God's time for judgment. He pardoned us. So that's what Baptists say is, I've been pardoned. That Jesus, when he died on the cross, though I was guilty, he pardoned me. You know, the old Sunday school um, illustrations they'll give you, that the judge knows that you owe $500 for a speeding ticket and found you guilty, then took off his robe and came around and went to the desk and wrote a check out of his own pocket and paid your fine and pardoned you. That's part of what Christ did. And so when she wrote that, and I got enough followers that people can't ignore me, I wrote underneath, God's judging us. I wrote underneath, not me. I've been pardoned. Amen. Then she went on this four tweet thing. Well, yes, well, uh, yeah, uh, yes, we have been, but at the same time, no, I'm not denying that there's awful things that happen on a daily basis, but that sin and people doing that. Do you want to know what the difference is? And turn to, turn to, um, let me finish second Corinthians five. Then we'll go to Revelation 3. Thanks for helping me out. You guys did a great job. 2 Corinthians 5. God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. I just believe God's seeing what's going on. He's so angry. Well, then you, don't, you need to read the Bible. Christ fully satisfied the judgment of sin on the cross. God poured out his judgment on Christ on the cross. That's why he died super fast. 
That's why the executioners are like, no, nah, he's faking. You don't die this fast at a crucifixion. And rammed the spear up through his side. Then the whole sky turned black. And the, 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 the guy never heard him preach. And got on one knee and said, truly, this man was the son of God. Because he took my judgment. Not some of it, all of it. But then if I let time elapse, nah, screw you. Now I got a problem. Because I took that gift and I didn't cash it. I threw it back in God's face. And now I have to answer for my own sin. God, these Christians don't like, like, why don't they ease up, you know? I like, I like lobster. I'm not trying to get everybody to eat lobster. No, there's coming a great white throne judgment. Where the sea will give up its dead and death and the grave will give up their dead. And every man will stand before God to give an account for what they've done in this body. Do you think God has worse technology than the NSA? Forget your whole life. Some of you, if he was going to watch the last three weeks, you go, uh, you know what, just book me in hell. Let's save the video clips. I'm a goner. So it's of the utmost importance. And isn't it interesting that when people, man, I started talking about Baptists, I turned into one. I'm just going straight salvation tonight. <laughs> Worth doing. Jesus is coming soon. This might be the last meeting I ever hold. Jesus could come tonight. Jesus could take me out of the air mid-flight on my way home. There's no thing to be fulfilled left withholding the return of Christ. We are on borrowed time. Why is Russia, why is Russia in eastern Ukraine? Because if they're going to fulfill Bible prophecy and attack Israel from Moscow, they have to have access to the Black Sea, which is controlled by Crimea. So if you want, I can pull up a clip from 1992 of Lester Summerall teaching on Ezekiel 37 and 38 and saying in 92, I don't know when or how it's going to happen, but at some point Russia is going to have to make a play for, for in Crimea to get access to the Black Sea. Otherwise, they can't fulfill Ezekiel 37 and 38. And here we are, borrowed time. And those are the signs for Armageddon, which is seven years after the rapture. If you see signs for Christmas sales, how much closer is Thanksgiving? The signs for Armageddon are lining up. And we're gone seven years before that. Why do you think I'm preaching 10 a.m. and 7 p.m.? Why do you think we're starting a second church in Fort Worth when we just, and, and everything's booming? We had 302 people show up to the workers' meeting to volunteer to the church. A launch, a good church launch is 40, 60, 80 people. Is that because I'm a super good pastor? No. It's because there is limited time left, and God has given us this task of reconciling people. So anybody that gets on board, there is a wind that comes from heaven. I was with Pastor Lou driving up to, to Portland and, uh, a couple days ago, and my dad was on the phone on speakerphone. He was preaching up in Wasilla, Alaska. He said we had 72 first-time decisions for Christ last night. I think it was 79. First time and 50-some recommitments. So on a Wednesday night in Alaska. Then you've been having this simultaneously here. My wife just finished preaching in Pittsburgh. That's what we've been doing. We've been running, you know... Uh, her at noon for prayer, me at the 10 a.m., right as their prayer finishes. Then her had her women's conference tonight, 200 ladies at our church. Then me here, 
Then then we'll hit it Sunday. And this will be the last Sunday that we only do church from one location. We're going to do Fort Worth and Pittsburgh simultaneously. You think that'll work? Think everything will work because if you get in line with the winning of souls, you have all of heaven's resources committed to make it work. So we are Christ's ambassadors. Verse 20. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead. Come back to God. Plead. So we say the word plead. When's the last time you've heard a full gospel person plead for souls? We're going to put a QR code up on the screen. If you'd like to join our next steps classes at the church, just get it on your phone. We'd love to get you plugged in. That ain't an altar call. Plead. Is that what, what did Peter do in the book of Acts? Brethren, the Bible says his message pricked their hearts. And they called out, brothers, what should we do? Well, what you should do is just start making time for God. No, each of you must repent of sin. Hand claps are dying out. What does repent mean? It means to turn 180 degrees. Doesn't mean, Lord, I'm sorry I got caught. It means I was going this way. One time when I was starting off preaching, I said it means to turn 360 degrees, but then you'd just still be going to hell dizzier. It's turning 180 degrees. You're back on sin. I'm not living according to the dictates of my flesh. I'm not living the way they tell me to live on television. I'm going to live, and I'm not living with some made-up 2023 version of the Bible. I'm going to live how the Bible says. I don't care who likes it or who doesn't like it. I'm not putting it up to a vote with my family. So you're not drinking anymore? Correct. Amazing how demonic things are. You could drink yourself blackout drunk. Family never says a thing to you. Start going to church three days in a row. I ain't got any sense again for How come you never were intervening when I was blacked out at a bar? Wrecking my life. But now that I want to live holy, you want to have a sit down with me. That's how the world works. There's encouragement. People will buy you drinks. People will pay your way to hell. But then when you make up, no, I'm going this way. Your own family. Get here. Do you think you are? What are you, like a nun now? You think you're holier than us? You have to make up your mind. Not only am I going the right way, whether anybody goes with me or not, I have decided to follow Jesus, and I won't turn back. Say something with me. Heaven is the home of overcomers. That's what the Bible says. Jesus said to all who overcome, I will cause them to sit down on my throne. You get to heaven, you're not going to meet chumps and losers. You're going to meet people that in Israel and Palestine and Syria and Central Africa. I I was preaching in South Africa. I saw something on the news that changed my life. This guy... These, um, what are they called? Al-Shabib, the the terrorist group out of Somalia. In northern Kenya, a group of Al-Shabib terrorists took over a city bus, made it pull over, took everybody out on the side, and made them recite the Islamic creed. And everyone recited it, including the Christians. Because you have to use wisdom, bro. That's the masked up Christians. 
Same people that, same churches that shut down, if there was a jihad, you think all of a sudden they'd grow a set of balls and say, no, we're not doing that. I say, you have to, you know, God doesn't expect people to lose their lives. You know, you have to use wisdom. You can do more for God outside of jail than inside it. You can do more for God alive than dead. Amen. That's, they, they do. Let me ask you a question. Were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego the only three Hebrews in Babylon? Far from it. So they were surrounded by friends. When you hear the music, bow. Hey, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you know, God knows your heart, man, bro. You, 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 God doesn't expect you to go into the fiery furnace. You know, it doesn't make a difference. We're bowing, but in our hearts, we're not bowing. And Shadrach, Meshach, you, what are the names of those people? You don't know them. You know why? Because you don't, God doesn't make a list of chumps. He makes a list of champions. Always remember, there is a God that watches from heaven. And when you pass the test, he's got a reward from heaven that you could never get on this earth. So people informed on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they won't bow. Nebuchadnezzar called him in. I'm going to, he had the fire heated seven times hotter. What difference does it make? Kill you anyway. I'm heating the fire seven times hotter. All right. I'm still a human being. I'm not a Marvel character. I'm not made of vibranium. I'm, I have flesh. He, he, he made it seven times hotter. And then he said, I'll give you one more chance to bow. Do you know how the devil works? That's how he's worked from the beginning of time. I'll give you one more chance. Do you know why? Because he can't override your will. All he can do is turn the heat up and pressure you to compromise. Oh, yeah. Any pastor like Pastor Lou that kept their church open. Cops came. We're going to get, you know, if you're still open next week, we're going to arrest you. No, they can't. Because the devil can't stop you. You can't curse who God's blessed. So you got to make up. You know, when you make up your mind about these things in services like this, that whatever the cost is, I'm not turning back. They said that I would lose my housing if I, um, I live with a guy. And he said that if I won't sleep with him anymore, then I can't stay in the apartment. Then I would have no place to live. So, so okay, go, go to hell. Go to hell over Section 8 apartment then. I'd rather sleep in a bus stop and go to heaven. But you're going to find out God's not a dummy. All he's waiting to see is whether you'll make the move or not. You think he's going to have you sleep with your kids in the street? Or do you think that's your ticket out of poverty into God saying, I'm now going to take care... Who do you think can take better care of you? Some sexually immoral pervert that's using you for sex or God, your loving father. I had a guy write me yesterday. He said, I'm in your, I, I, I'm, I'm in your ministerial mentorship group, or I just joined it. He said, I wanted to know what you would do in my situation because I feel called to the ministry, but I have a wife and daughter. So I, I'm working my job right now. And um, when should I go into the ministry? I said, I, I, you know what I wrote back? I also have a wife and daughter. Yeah, it's too bad we serve this brain-dead, delinquent God that calls you into the ministry and forgets you have a wife and daughter and won't take care of any of your needs. If only he was smarter and knew how to provide for people. Just quit the minute. You know what I'd do if I was you? I'd keep work that job the rest of your life because you haven't read enough of the Bible to know that his name is Jehovah Jireh. The one who supplies, not some, all of your needs. 
What do you want? What, you know, we all wish. I wish when I was in Bible college, God deposited $21 billion in my account and said, now be careful. Use that judiciously. That 60 years of ministry budget, I'm giving it to you. Now get out there and preach. That's not how it works. He doesn't give you everything up front. You'd run, you could run off. But it's all there in an account being given to you as you move, as you move ahead. Can you say amen? amen? And if you don't believe that, you got no business preaching to anybody. You don't have any faith. How do you preach about a God that you don't even believe can take care of you? Let me tell you something. God not only will take care of your bills and your housing and your transportation, he'll take care of your health. He will protect you. I was preaching in Barbados back when Zika came out. I got an email from uh, us.gov. We advise you not to preach in Barbados during this time because of the Zika virus. I don't care. Advice. Thanks for the advice. See you later. I go down there. Everybody's freaked out about Zika from, you know, being transmitted from those mosquitoes. Plus, it's an open air crusade. One night, the gift of faith came on me strong. I said, I don't want to hear another thing about Zika. I said, I, number one, I curse it. Number two, I said, you're going to get so full of the Holy Ghost tonight that if a Zika mosquito bites you, you're not going to get Zika. The mosquito's going to fly away saying, singing there's power in the blood. And the people put their hands up and clap. That's called faith. I'm not here to get attacked. I'm here to do the attacking to the kingdom of darkness. Somebody shout, I'm an overcomer. Somebody say, he's my protector. He's my protector. Say, he's my provider. He's my provider. Say, he's my peace. He's my peace. Yeah. Jesus gives you things when you work for him. How do you rate something that stupid? In his 20s, it's like it's like a 14-year-old. Somebody in their 20s with a wife. and you, you, Your brain is, you, you need prayer. You need somebody to lay hands on you and command a brain to grow. That's a pre. I want to get into the ministry, but then I also have a wife and daughter. And so, and so what? You're already saying with your confession that God won't take care of you. When if you knew, see, because people see me and they think, yeah, but I don't have a, I don't have a jet and ministry partners. I didn't come out of the womb with fourteen thousand ministry partners. My mom didn't give birth to me, and the doctor goes, hold on a second, Miss Shuttlesworth, here comes a plane. We're going to have to do C-section. <laughs> oh, no. Everybody starts the same. I said everybody starts the same. That's why the Bible says despise not the day of small beginnings. God wants to see whether you're a punk or not. Whether you turn back and quit. God allowed the Nebuchadnezzar to give them one more chance and heat the fiery furnace. He'll see if you'll, he'll give you the opportunity to back up. Devil dangle consequences that in the natural are true. You know, I won't have any place to live because of my boyfriend, I live with him, and my parents have already kicked me out of the house, so I would have nowhere to go. Okay, see if that's true or not. See if whether the God that promised that he would, he would provide homes for the widows and the orphan, whether he's full of crap or whether he tells the truth. Because if you don't believe he tells the truth, you got nothing to tell anybody else. You actually don't believe what that says. So prove it first for yourself. I said, prove it first for yourself. Find out that God's not a liar. That he does what he says. 
that he said what he meant and he is more than able to perform every promise that he's made. If, you, if anybody can testify to that, tonight in the Pacific Northwest, put your anointed hands together and let God know you don't only believe the heaven part, you believe the open door, the protection, the whole thing. Go ahead, take 30 seconds, let it rip. Let the devil know he's in for a bad night. Hey, I hear the sound of the armies of the Lord. I hear the sound of the armies of the Lord. Somebody shout hallelujah. Say it one more time. The Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. And if the guy that wrote that to me is watching, hey, that, that upsets me. I'm trying to upset you. I'm trying to snap you out of your religious lethargy. When God calls you, he takes care of you. I said, when God calls you, he takes care of you. Can't believe God for provision in America. You, you got issues. Honey, how could you even? How do you believe? Like, where do you work? You, where do you work at Verizon? You think Verizon can take better care of you than God? He existed before there is a Verizon. He'll be around when there's no more Verizon. He's God. I am the almighty. Is there anything too hard for me? Abraham, stand up so people can see you in the back. This is my friend and co-labor in the gospel. He's from Ghana, West Africa. Did you have money to pay all your tuition at Rhema Bible Training Center when you left West Africa? No. Is everything paid? And then, and he's smiling. See, only you, you meet the people from West Africa, they're all smiling. Here, they're all Caleb. Going through a hard time. So then I'm going to tell you how God works. Abraham feels to drive to Pittsburgh after he graduates. And I see him in the front row and I had seen him in a few of my services in Oklahoma and Texas. And I liked him. I liked his spirit when I would preach. So when I saw him on the front row, I said, are you the one I used to see in Texas? I said, are you out of Bible school? Weren't you in Bible school? Did you graduate? Yeah. I said, uh, why don't you come work for me? I like, I, I like you. And he did. But he's got no place to live. We put him on part-time salary because, you know, I see how he does. He's on full-time now. A guy in our church acquired property by faith in his 30s. The property came with another home in the back of the property. And he doesn't know him. White guy from Massachusetts, black guy from West Africa. Oh, this racism. Change your confession. And Doug, that doesn't even know, didn't even know him, came up to him and said, why don't you live in, my, in the house that came with my property? I feel led to give you the home for free. This guy's got his own home. So then he's got a home, but no car. So he saved up enough money to, get a, to put a down payment on a Mercedes. I don't know anything about this. And when, he, when I was preaching, where was I preaching? What city were we at? Florida. The Lord speaks to him to take the down payment he saved up to finally get himself a car and put it in the offering. So he did. I had no idea. We land that night, late, three or four in the morning. He takes my bags off the plane and loads them in the back of my car. And then I just looked, you know, little, little golden rule action. I said, how are you getting home? He said, oh, I'll get Uber. I said, all right, I don't like that. I don't like this, that somebody's going to have to wait around for a car, for a ride. So I texted Patrick as I drove home. I said, get him a, a car for $20,000. Uh, uh, find something for $20,000. 
used car and get it for him. So Patrick sends me two. One's 18000 It's like a, a Hyundai Elantra or something, newer. And then a Mercedes that they found for 22000 So he said, would you, would you mind paying 2000 more? We could get the Mercedes. That Mercedes was the exact car he was looking at for the down payment. I didn't know that, but God knew it. The Lord spoke to me, get, get, get him a car. That was the night that he gave the down payment. I didn't know anything about it. Why is there another me interrupting my own service? Go, go, go back in the digital world and sit your butt down. You have the, him get in the car? Is that what you're looking at? Yeah, give me one sec. So, because we videoed it. So I never told Abraham. And then the next time we went out to preach the next week when we landed at the airport, there's that cr- uh, silver Mercedes waiting there. And he gets off the plane. I said, that's yours, brother. And I don't mean, it's not the ministries for him to use. If he quit the next day, it's his. I gave it to him. And he did that by faith. So when I see somebody come from West Africa and, and all that happened by faith, you get some American. Um, I feel kind of in the ministry, but then I also have a wife and daughter. And since God's made some bad investments lately and he's kind of short on money, God's not Janet Yellen. God's not Jerome Powell. God's not some bozo that doesn't know how to handle money. God owns all the silver and all the gold. If you say yes, God will take care of you. And I'm going to tell you part of what God's going to do. As you make up your mind to serve him, the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the just. Get ready to see God's provision like you've never seen it before in Jesus' mighty name. I said in Jesus' mighty name. There's a transfer going on right now. The wealth of the wicked is laid up for the just. Just go into the ministry and get a tombstone made up that says, Starve to death, trusting in Jesus. Here lies me, my wife, and and child. We died of malnutrition, trusting in Jesus. Do it. Just get it ready, because God God can't do anything. He said, so how are you going to preach to anybody? You don't even think God can take care of you. You're going to tell people to abandon their life of sin and, and, and give their life to God? You'll be a weak preacher. Prove it first. Prove these things. That's what the Bible says. Step out on it yourself. One of the reasons there's some heat on my preaching is I've done these things. I've seen God make a way where there is no way. I've seen him heal sick people that the doctors sent home to die. I've seen it. So you can't talk me out of it. And when I preach it, I'm not preaching something I've heard about. I'm preaching something that I've tasted and seen and know that the Lord is good. That's going to be what you do from here on out. you believe it can you shout amen so we are god's christ's ambassadors god is making his appeal through us we speak for christ when we plead come back to god verse 21 anybody have a king james anyone 21 for he hath made him to be sin God made Christ to be, to be what? Sin. Oh, yeah. They, the reason you have to do it in the King James, other translations, they'll put a different term in, in italics and then the actual translation at the bottom of the page because it's too strong for religious people. Christ couldn't become sin. Yes. What happened in the wilderness when the vipers were biting the people for transgressing against God and they were dying? What was the remedy? 
What did God tell Moses to do? I think it's Numbers uh, 11. To make a bronze serpent, the exact replica of the evil thing that was destroying the people. Put it on a pole and lift the pole up. And anyone that looks at it will live. And then what did Jesus say? As the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, so I, the son of man, must be lifted up for all flesh. He became sin. Everybody say, he became sin. That's why I had to say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He became forsaken so I could be accepted. He took my sin so that God could look upon me. Then he buried it in the ground and rose triumphant. For he hath made him to be sin, not for fun. For who? Say it out loud. Christ became sin for me. Who knew no sin that we might be the what? How many know we're all sinners? No. The, we are what? You know, sinner is the opposite of righteous. Don't tell me I'm the opposite of what Je- Jesus paid a high price. So I would never have to let those words come out of my mouth. Not only am I not a sinner. I am because of Christ. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. Now, if you want to struggle your whole life, then start making your confession, I battle drugs. I battle pornography. I battle anger problems. And you always will. Because death and life is in the power of the... Why don't you switch your tongue around and say, every time I struggle, I have trouble. Thank you, Father. That because of what Jesus did, I am the righteousness of God in Christ. His righteousness has been imputed in me. I gave him my sin. He gave me his righteousness. Let me ask you a question. Did Jesus take some of God's judgment or all of it? So if God's judging the world, I I got questions. Because if he gave him all the judgment, then there's none left to give out. And plus, I'm righteous. He's not looking to judge me. But when we get out of here, it it starts a new dispensation. 6-1. As God's partners, we beg you not to accept this marvelous gift of God's kindness and then ignore it. For God said at just the right time I heard you on the day of salvation, I helped you. Indeed, now is the right time. Today is the day of salvation. Say what the Bible says. Say today is the day of salvation. All the devil has to do to get you to go to hell is put it off one more day. Preacher, I have like a lot of things I need to like sort out. You'll never, you haven't got it sorted out in 30 years. What do you think you're going to do this week? Plus, Jesus didn't say, sort your life out and come to me. He said, come just as you. Did he tell the prodigal son to go take a shower and change clothes and then hug him? No. While he still had the stench of the pig pen on him, the father ran and wrapped his arms around him and said, my son who is dead has now come home. Amen. Somebody say, now is the day day. of salvation. I heard thee in a time accepted, and in the day of salvation have I succored thee. That's like ministered to you. Behold, now is the accepted time. And today is the day of salvation. Where's Ben? You got, no? So that's why when I hear somebody say God's judging America, that's that's almost like a cop-out. It's not almost like a cop-out. It is a cop-out. 
If I was a loser pastor and I was called the pastor in Oregon, I'd say, look at all the wickedness is here. God, God's going to judge this place because then I can just kind of not win souls. I get a negative mentality and I'm not going to do anything. If I thought God was judging America, I want to be building a second church in Fort Worth. I want to build a first one in Pittsburgh. I go sit down and go, burn it down, Lord. But this is not the time of God's judgment. This is the time of his marvelous favor. I'm quoting what the Bible says. No longer counting people's sins against them. If you're the worst sinner in Oregon and you're sitting here, I have good news for you. That Jesus already paid the price. And you can receive forgiveness of all your sins and be made new. Can you say amen? Turn to Romans chapter 6. Anybody getting anything out of tonight? Romans chapter 6. Verse 1. Well, then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, we've what? I struggle with sin. Well, do die to it. Hard to struggle with something that's dead. You can't struggle with a dead crocodile. Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. These aren't things that are going to happen. These are things that already happened. Can you say amen? Amen. And since verse 9, sorry, verse 8, since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he'll never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once. To break the power of sin. So I say sin's power is broken. I would invite you tonight before I go home to join me in a decision I've made is I'm not going to struggle with something that's had its power broken. Amen. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. Verse 11. So you should also consider yourselves. Do you know how you consider yourself matters? I'm a sinner, you know. Yeah, and you always will be. You're going to have every preacher and their wife pray for you. It's not going to change anything until you change your confession. No one can ever rise higher than the level of their confession. That's why the Bible says you should consider yourselves. Now, if it said Romans 6.11, you should consider yourselves struggling with sin. Okay, I apologize. I've been preaching the wrong thing for 20 years. But the other people should apologize because it says the exact opposite. You should. That's you. So I'll read it personally. Jonathan Shuttlesworth, according to God, should consider himself to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. 
I need prayer. I struggle with sin. You don't need prayer. You need to learn how to read and then believe what you read. Prayer can never be a substitute for revelation of God's word. Prayer can never be a substitute for revelation of God's word. I battle with drugs and addiction. You should consider yourself. Yeah, but I do. Are you smoking right now? Do you have a needle in your arm right now? People actually, if you don't get this in you, prayer is a wasted time. Because you don't expect change. I've prayed for people before. Can you pray for my husband? He won't serve the Lord. Will you agree with me in prayer that I'll serve the Lord? Sure. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for Gary, wherever he is right now. I claim his soul for the kingdom of God and for heaven. I curse the sin and deception that's keeping him out of salvation. I believe for you to save him this week in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The thing is, he's just so lost and... Don't talk to me anymore. Don't waste my time. I could be playing with my daughter right now. You are wasting my time. Because prayer can't work. There's people that go through the motions, but they don't actually expect there to be a change. What about the lady that came to R.W. Shambach's meeting that had been in a wheelchair for over 20 years? She's in her wheelchair holding a pair of red high heels, getting ready to get out of the chair. She wasn't going through the motion. I know when this prayer takes place, I'm going to get out of this chair, put these high heels on and dance. And he did. And she did. Expect God to turn something around in your life tonight in Jesus' name. If you believe it, shout, I receive it. Say it out loud. I see everything turning around for my good. Now lift your hands and begin to thank God that everything's turning around for your good. Your son's coming home. Your addiction died 40 minutes ago. In Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. So you should consider yourself dead to sin. Every time you consider yourself the opposite, you're in violation of the scripture. I battle depression. Quit saying that. Step one, quit it. What scripture is that? We are, how many of you know we're in a mental health crisis? Is that, what scripture is that, Pastor? Be careful where you go to church. Have people pronounce curses over you. I know we're all in a mental health crisis. All of us will face depression at some point in our life. Thanks, thanks for the sermon, Beelzebub. Appreciate it. You foul devil. I got joy unspeakable and full of glory. I got life. I got a river of life flowing out of me. I'm not claiming depression. I'm claiming freedom. I said I'm not claiming depression. I'm claiming freedom. I don't have what the world has. I have somebody who came from heaven. Now, while we're on the subject, you have people that believe, yes, Jonathan, we will have these things when we go to heaven. But you notice all this stuff's in the past tense and present tense. Jesus did it. You should now consider yourself, not one day. Because people will say, no, I believe in healing and deliverance. But for some of us, some of us will get that here. But how many know others of us will only get that in heaven? No. You don't have to go to heaven to get it. Heaven came down to earth. Christ came from heaven to bring heaven to you. You don't have to wait till you die. You can call on the name of the Lord and receive it now. Somebody shout amen like thunder.
Verse 12, do not let sin control the way you live. That's not God's responsibility, that's your responsibility. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourself, your body, completely to God. I'm doing that right now. I, got, I brought a change of clothes with me because I might look like I jumped in a pool by the time I'm done. I'm put on some dry clothes before I get on the plane because pilots usually like to keep the plane at about minus 20. I'm giving everything I got tonight. Give everything I got the, the whole week. I don't have time. There's no energy left for me. There's nothing. All my energy is wrapped up in gospel work. Because that's a command. Give yourself completely to God. For you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your, and it's, I'm, it's not just me. I'm not propping myself up as some awesome guy. Where's Zach? How, what time have you been going to work in the morning? Oh, Jake. Where, where's Jake? What time have you been going to work in the morning? Five o'clock. And you have to wake up at what time? Wake up at 5. Work till when? 2.30. 30. Come here and usher from 6 or whatever till 11 o'clock. Last guy out. So I'm not like saying like, I do it because I'm a preacher. He's doing it. He's not getting any offering. He's doing it under the Lord. But anything you do under the Lord, you get your reward from heaven. Don't do it for an ice cream cake. Or $10 Starbucks card, whatever the church gives. I, I, I would just say, just keep, keep mine. And I'd look for God because the God that, that condemned people that didn't pay their workers will not allow you to work for him and go unpaid. Yeah, amens get quiet, but God's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So I, I, I like that I'm not using, now let's, I'm switching to him because he's expending his energy. I guarantee when the service gets out tonight, he ain't going to a bar. And if he used to drink, he doesn't have the energy to open the cap when he goes home. Or the motivation to walk to the refrigerator to get a beer, even if it's there. He's done. He gave his whole self to the ministry. Now, you get a church full of people like that, you can take Oregon over in less than a year. Not people who attend. Pastor, this was a great revival. I'm going to start being more faithful to church. What do you freaking do? You going to church is not you serving God. It's God serving you. It's sitting there and enjoying a meal from the word that people prepared. We're the real, where you separate the men from the boys are the people that say, I'm going to give myself to the service. And now look what happened. Now the Holy Ghost speaks to your pastor to start four branches of this church, to reach this corridor and flip the state. How are you going to be able to do it? You're not going to do it with a bunch of pew sitters, but you are going to do it with ease with a bunch of people that get full of the Holy Ghost, put their struggle with sin to death, and say, I'm going to give my whole self as a weapon of righteousness. Can you say amen? Amen. Verse 14. Sin shall not have dominion over you. So if sin doesn't have dominion over you, say out loud, I have, through Christ, dominion over sin. Say absolute dominion. Say total dominion. Close both eyes all over this place. I curse the taste for sin out of your mouth. I curse the desires for sin 
that are lurking in your flesh. May they be replaced now with a hunger and passion for the righteousness of God, the advancement of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' mighty name. Everybody said? Amen. Now, go to Revelation chapter 3. I'll wrap up with this. The church is addressed in the first three chapters of Revelation 19 times and then never again. Look what happens at the end of Revelation 3. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and share a meal together with him as a friend. Verse 21, Revelation 3, 21. Those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he's saying to the churches. Churches never mentioned again. What happens next? Chapter 4, verse 1. Then as I looked, I saw a door standing open in heaven. And the same voice I had heard spoke to me like a trumpet blast. And the voice said, come up here. And I will show you what must happen after this. And instantly, everybody's saying the twinkling of an eye. And instantly I was in the Spirit. And I saw a throne in heaven and someone sitting on it. Okay, then it's going to tell what happens at the throne. Now the whole rest of it takes place from the vantage point of heaven. Then what happens? Revelation 6, verse 1. As I watched, the lamb broke the first of the seven seals on the scroll. Then I heard one of the four living beings say with a voice like thunder, Come. I looked up and saw a white horse standing there. Its rider carried a bow and a crown was placed on his head. He rode out to win many battles and gain the victory. Then he broke the second seal. Then chapter 8 breaks the seventh seal. Then there's the bowls. Then there's the vials. What's the difference between what's happening now and what's going to happen after the rapture? Right now, what you're seeing is the wages of sin. That's why you have different Americas. If I lived in downtown Oakland, California, I might be saying, God's judging America. No, there's a ton of sin there, unchecked and lawless leaders. And so sin's allowed to be there and it attracts its own payload of death. Well, then I could take you to counties. There was a place I was at in um, Iowa when I went to preach. It, it, I found out after I was there, it was the most conservative town in America. You'd have thought you were in a Norman Rockwell painting. I never saw any woman walking without a husband or any husband walking without, and they're all pushing strollers, all having kids, all farm. And then the church was packed at night. They have like no crime. Go to Naples, Florida. They had one crime last year. Somebody stole somebody's cooler out of the back of their boat. It was the only crime in a year in that town. So there's places you go. You know, don't, when your nose is next to the toilet, all you smell is stink. The whole America is not downtown Portland. And me and, and me and Pastor Lou were in downtown Portland. We had a great, we didn't get stabbed or anything. We had no negative encounters. We, we met very nice people, had a good time. So if you, God's judging America. Yeah, you can have, you can make your algorithm on Instagram or Twitter so that you think we're in the seventh year of the tribulation. One video of somebody running someone over on the highway. Another vision of somebody uh, beating somebody up at Wendy's. Another one of somebody shooting somebody to death in Philadelphia. That's not America. I haven't seen one Antifa person the whole time I've been here. 
And I planned on it. I was going to give people gallons of whole milk. Here, drink this. You look like you have bone density problems. And that might be contributing to your anger over the political system. <laughs> drink this. It does a body good. Drink the whole thing. It's free. Oh, yeah. But if I, if I watched the news about Oregon and made up my mind about news, Oregon man, is full of Antifa and people are... It's not. I've been here. I've been to California. I held a week of meetings in Southern California. The place was packed. We had triple or quadruple on Friday what we had Sunday morning, and we had double in the morning service what we had Sunday morning. Christians drove from all over the place. There's great Christians in California. What about Canada? Canada's lost. We have Canadians here that drove down from British Columbia to be in the meetings. Oh, yeah. God never allowed any generation to be without a remnant that believed in him. And the thing you need to know is we don't have to outnumber the devil's crowd to beat them. Light drives out darkness. Darkness never drives out light. Jesus said, while I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. But after I leave, you are the light of the world. And right now, there is a fire being lit in your spirit. You're going to come out of these revival meetings stronger than you've ever been. You're going to run roughshod over the devil, and there's not a thing that hell can do about it because the greater one lives on the inside of you. Somebody shout amen like thunder. Now, so everything we're facing right now is because of the wickedness and sin abounding. After we get snatched out of the earth, which if you ever hear anybody teach that that was something the rapture was made up in the 1800s, you're listening to a very unintelligent person. There were raptures all through the Bible. Enoch was not, for God took him. Elijah had a chariots of fire come and go past him, and then he went up in a whirlwind and was no longer. Dropped his mantle for Elisha. Jesus was blessing the disciples, went up into heaven. And I'm leaving a bunch out. There's, there's seven raptures in the Bible. P people that, that, that were there and then left. And the Bible says one day, we are, everybody say what the Bible says. Say, I am not appointed, am not appointed unto wrath. wrath. So anything that's happening on the earth right now is not the wrath of God. I don't care if three tsunamis hit the United States this year. It's not God angry with America. What is it? The Bible says the whole earth is groaning against sin. The trees and the ocean were not meant to be exposed to what they're being exposed to. And that'll be a sign. But what happens after the rapture? After the rapture, the bowls are open from heaven. Because God has taken his children out. And now everybody that's remained behind has made a decision. I don't, I don't give a crap about what Jesus did for me. You can have it. And the Bible says, so now there'll be a judgment for their sin. And now it goes to another level. In fact, you can see the devil wanting to do that stuff right now. The Ch China-Taiwan thing, is China-India, it's right there. Russia-Ukraine, right at the midst of World War III. But it ain't going to happen while we're here. You can see it all there. You can see it during the COVID lockdowns that they wanted to do. Nobody can participate in society unless you have something injected into your body. And no man could buy or sell unless they were given a mark in their right hand or in their forehead. The World Economic Forum had a meeting today and said that nations need to lay down their sovereignty and let a global ruling body take over, just like the Bible says. 
If someone would have said that when I was a kid in the 80s or 90s, they would have been labeled an enemy of the state, and the military would have made plans to take that organization out. But now our leaders are welcoming it. We need to lay down our dollar. We need a global currency. When you see these things happen, look up for your redemption draws nigh. It should motivate you unto good works. Because time's almost up. But don't say God's judging us. Because I'm here. And if I was the only Christian, God would not pour his judgment out on the world if I was here. He made, a, he made an ark for Noah. He got Angels pulled Lot out of Sodom. And until he was clear, he wanted to drop the fire on the place. Let me, let me tell you another thing while I'm at it. I was on a um, talk show, a Christian talk show, right at the beginning of the lockdown. And the guy that was hosting the show, he said, Jonathan, many people believe that this is God judging America because of abortion that we've allowed to continue. What do you think about that? I said, I think it's stupid. But I didn't know because I hadn't watched the show. He felt that way. He felt that it was God, that COVID was sent from God. Let me ask you a question. How could God send sickness? Where would he get it from? Is there any sickness in heaven? No. So because I know correct theology... When other people were shutting their churches down, I kept holding evangelistic. That's how I made national, international news. We had a thousand-person Easter service that April. I thought, if the devil, this is not time to lock churches down. This is time to preach. Can you say amen? amen. But when, see, the stuff I'm preaching to you, pastors weren't sure about it. Well, whether we go out first or in the middle or at the end. The important, no, if you don't understand that, then you're going, uh, this, might, this might be the tribulation. Maybe we should hide. No. We should preach. So you don't know what course of action to take because your doctrine's screwy. So I said to the guy, he said, you don't think this is God judging America? I said, let me ask you a question. If God's angry about abortion, why would he send a disease that kills people that are mostly 70 or older? If God's angry about abortion, why is he killing people that haven't been on a date in 45 years? That doesn't make any sense. Now, if the entire freshman class at New York University dropped dead, then maybe we could have a d discussion. The Bible said, before I return, not there'd be a plague, there'll be plagues. Incurable sickness and disease, sign of the times. That's why you better get your doctrine straight on divine healing, because whatever course of action you took during COVID, you're going to be taking a lot. Hey, there's another one now, so let's just uh, shut everything down again until it's clear. There's not going to be an all clear on sickness and disease until Jesus comes back in the new Jerusalem and the lion lays down with the lamb. You're not charged to hide from sickness. You're charged to heal the sick. Get your butt out of the ministry. You don't belong in the ministry anymore than that other guy. If you don't believe in the provision or the protection, you're going to be a useless minister. Your building's going to be up for sale. Because you're, 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 you're useless. You're plucked up from the roots. Separation of the tares and wheat is happening right now. And God, and God is doing the one doing the separating. Say this out loud. Judgment must begin in the house of God. So God's not doing a judgment of sickness or death or tidal waves. But all these churches you see going up for sale in California, all the ones that shut down, all the ones that put rainbow flags up, or whatever other thing that CNN said we're doing this week. They're all going up for sale. And then what's happening is, say separation. separation. 
of tares and wheat. They're losing their buildings. And then God, that's like I've lost track of how many people had the Holy Spirit speak to them this year to start moving into different areas because those people are getting cleared out. But those buildings are not going to become marijuana dispensaries or, or vape shops. People like Pastor Lou are going to fill them full of you people that have never heard the gospel. But now they're filled with the Holy Ghost dancing in the Spirit. And God is going to reclaim his house. In Jesus' mighty name. Come on, if you believe it, go ahead and celebrate it ahead of time. Celebrate it for 30 seconds. Oh, clap your hands. All ye people, shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Rub it in the devil's face a little bit. Somebody shout hallelujah. Say it one more time. The Lord is good. And his mercy endures forever. From generation to generation. That's right. He's got a blessing for this generation. If you're a young person here, I'd be excited about the future. The economy's going to go out. No, it's not. They're, they're trying to tank it, and they can't. There'll be plenty of oil, plenty of money, plenty of everything until we're raptured out of here because I'm here to preach. So when people are selling their planes, I'm going to be buying planes. When people are losing their buildings, we're going to be taking the buildings. Because it's our time. You remember what I read to start things out? Malachi chapter 3. Then again will you see the difference between the righteous and the wicked. Between those who serve God and those who serve not. Could I do what I'm doing right now if I was using commercial air travel with our current transportation secretary? No. How could I preach in the morning in Pittsburgh and then at night... In Salem, Oregon, there's no direct flight Pittsburgh to Salem. And even if there was, it has about a 30% chance of getting delayed or canceled. But you know what the Lord told me in 2021? You can go back. I'm not saying it after the fact. Jonathan, start using your faith to use, commer to use private aircraft. For a disruption will come in, into the uh, domestic air travel in the United States. And this will get you ahead of it so you don't skip, skip a beat. For anything I've called you to do. So I started using my faith then. It was a big deal. It was a massive expense that was unbudgeted. But I did what the Lord said. And now when it hit, it's flown as easy as... I don't, it, it, I've been doing it for so long and God so provided. I used to check what price we got on every flight. If you ask me right now with a 45 to my head, how much we paid to charter that Falcon 2000 over here and back, I couldn't tell you. I don't even look anymore. I'm going to go even further. Since I was bashing that guy talking about how he didn't believe God could provide, I'll tell you how God will provide. I was gassing my uh, SUV up back when, when under in the Obama years when gas went up to like $5 a gallon for the first time and people were freaked out about gas. And I was filling that big SUV. It was an extended cab SUV because I, I drove to all my meetings and I used it to carry my television equipment. So I'm filling up in Philadelphia and this lady comes up to me and she goes, uh, man, how much does it cost to fill that thing up? And I told her, honestly, I said, I don't know. I've never looked because, you know, when you start paying employees and stuff, if it comes down to a tank of gas, the show's over. So you're paying so many more bills, you don't even look. I don't know what my phone bill is. or You know, it's, it's past that. So I wasn't saying it to be jerk. I said, I don't know. But when I finish gassing up, I'll look and tell you because she was curious. And when I said, I don't know how much it costs, I've never looked. The Lord spoke to me right then at the gas station. 
And so will the day come where you use private air travel and you won't look. And until that time comes, don't do it. In other words, don't shipwreck your ministry thinking the pinnacle of being in the ministry is using a jet. Then come there and try to beat the offering out of the people. Take an hour and 45 minute offering and then preach for 20 minutes trying to raise your plane money. If you do what I tell you to do, the Lord said, the day will come where just like you don't think about doing this, you won't think about doing that. And baby, I'm in that day right now. Because God takes care of his people. How high are the price of eggs right now? High. What if they get so high you can't afford them? Want to know what happened to my grandparents when they started off in the ministry? Somebody say the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the just. They're living in a small house. My, my grandma's still alive. She's in her 90s. My grandfather's in heaven. They left Zion Bible Institute, started preaching. They weren't paid. My grandmother would play an accordion in Farmington, West Virginia to gather a crowd. Now, if you play an accordion, it's a good way to scatter a crowd. And she'd sing some hymns and a crowd would form. Then my grandfather would get up in a suit and start preaching on the sidewalk in Farmington, West Virginia. So then he's staying in a house, in a little house up in the woods that someone gave him to stay in. And my grandmother said, we woke up one morning and we had no money. And you know, this is the 1952, no credit cards. And when she said, I said no money, I don't mean like we had little money. We had no pennies, nothing. We had no food. And I got ready to pray for the Lord to help us. And before I could get the first word out, say a scripture with me. Say, before they call, I will answer. And while they're yet speaking, I will hear. When you get in the flow of God's will for your life, you don't get a chance to pray for much. It's just there. Delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you what? Not you'll pray for and he'll give you, he'll just give you the desires of your heart. So she said, I got ready to pray. And before I got one word out, I saw a peculiar sight. 21 chickens were marching down the hill towards our property. Well, you don't see that every day. So she put her prayer on pause and thought, well, let me see what happened. And they walked on the lawn, went into the shed next to the house. And she went in to see what in the world's going on. And all 21 chickens laid an egg. Then they got up and got in line and went back up the hill from where they came. So my grandmother, super honest Pentecostal lady, I would have just claimed the scripture, finders, keepers, losers, weepers. She took all the eggs and put them in a wicker basket and followed the chickens back up the hill like a tenth of a mile or so. All the chickens go back to their coop. There's somebody living there. I mean, if you've ever been to West Virginia, it's like, I still don't even think they have 911 compliant addresses in that state. So she finds, she didn't even know who these people were. She goes to the house, knocks on the door, cigarette smoking lady comes out. Can I help you? Your chickens got loose and they all laid eggs in my property, so I brought them to you. The lady said, those can't be our chickens. My husband hates those chickens. Ever since we bought them, they've never laid one egg. My grandmother said, no, I promise you, I watched them lay eggs and I watched them all get in line and go back to your coop. And the lady shrugged and said, if they laid them on your property, you can have them. So there were the eggs. For the rest of the time that my grandparents lived there, every time they got low on eggs, the chickens came back down, laid eggs in the shed, and went back up. My grandmother never had to feed them. She never had to clean up after them. Just collect the eggs. Can you say amen? 
Say it out loud. The wealth of the wicked is laid up for the just. Oh, yeah. So then they get their first pastorate in rural Virginia and come back a few years later for a funeral in West Virginia from somebody they knew. And that lady that lived up the hill was at the funeral. And she went up to my grandmother and said, it's you. Did you know after you moved, the chickens never went down the hill again and they still have never laid an egg? Then again, will you see the difference between the righteous and the wicked, those that serve God and those that serve him not? When you make the decision up front, I'm not going to live like everybody else. I'm not going to do what everyone else does. Then you separate yourself or consecrate yourself unto the Lord. And now you are a prime candidate for the windows of heaven and the blessing of God to pursue you and your family all the days of your life. Want to hear another one? Somebody say the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the just. I guess it probably didn't freak my grandparents out that much what happened because when they were in Bible school, 1948, no, it had been 1949 to 1952. It was a three-year school. The lady that started the, the Bible school was named Christine Gibson. She was a, an actual prophet. And they ran out of food for all the students. So they called a prayer meeting. And uh, this is in Rhode Island. And she said, we're going to pray. And a guy gave a message in tongues and said, thus saith the Lord, set the table. Remember I told you the lady in the wheelchair that brought the shoes? God likes the action of faith. You think I'm going to provide food for you? Then go put the plates on the table, get the fork and knife out, and have everybody sit down. Then when they sat down, the Lord spoke to them to bless the meal. There's no meal. And so a truck driver comes in right after they do it. It's in Rhode Island. And in a snowstorm, his 18-wheeler uh, jackknifed on their property, carrying a full 18-wheeler load of potatoes from Aroostook County. Idaho makes the most potatoes in the country, and northern Maine is second most. So he said, you know, this is the, the, the late 40s, early 50s. I called, radioed back to base. They're not going to be able to send anybody to help me with my truck, and we're going to lose the whole shipment of potatoes. Because back then in America, potatoes were made out of potatoes. So they would rot. Whereas now, you can lose one and find it four years later, and it's fine. So he said, we're going to lose the whole shipment. And when I radioed back and told them that I wrecked on a Bible college property, the owner, who was not a Christian, somebody say, wealth of the wicked, laid up for the just. When he found out it was a Bible college, you know, one thing that will work in your favor a lot of times in the ministry is people that aren't saved are superstitious. So when he heard it was a Bible college, he said, that must have been God. Well, whatever. Maybe an angel gave that 18-wheeler a hard shove, knocked it onto the Bible college campus. He said, if it landed on their property, have the students unload it and give them all the potatoes and ask them to give us a tax write-off. When that head of that company found out what had happened, that they were out of food, that his truck crashed on the property, those people ate like Irishmen for three months. Boiled potatoes, steamed potatoes, French fried potatoes. It's the only Bible college where everybody had scurvy. They ate, they ate that whole shipment of potatoes. But catch this. When that guy found out that happened, he said that had to be God. So every year, he supplied the school for a year with potatoes for free. He did it the entire time my grandparents were there. 
When my mom and dad went there in the 70s, that company was still doing it. And when I came 1998 to 2002, they were still doing it. The miracle that God did for my grandparents, their grandson was still eating from that miracle 50 years later. Because it only takes one person in a family to say, I'm going the faith way. And you start to blaze a path for your children and your children's children. The righteous man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. I see everything turning around for your family tonight. I see everything being erased that the devil's done. The devil's not going to write the story of your family. Your family's going to enjoy the benefits of faith. Go ahead and clap your hands and shout one more time. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. One more time, say it. The Lord is good. And His mercy endures forever. I don't mean to keep going back to that guy that wrote me on Instagram, but you think all the stories he's going to miss out on. Why would you not want God to be able to use your life as a vessel where one day people are reading about you like they read about Wigglesworth? Why do people like Wigglesworth? Because he was an illiterate plumber. He didn't have anything. He believed God and the Lord took him around the world. God will do the same. God doesn't like him any more than you. He's not a respecter of persons. He respects faith. Can you say amen? Amen. I believe God's judging us. I don't. I believe he judged Christ on my behalf. And because I received him as my savior, he doesn't have judgment for me. He has a blessing for me. I'm not expecting trouble. I'm expecting a miracle. Some of you wake up and I wonder what this week holds. You need to get your, your, your faith pointed in the other direction. The Bible doesn't say surely trouble and calamity will follow me all the days of my life. It does say surely, not hopefully, surely goodness and mercy will follow me how many days of my life. Say it out loud. I expect a miracle every day because my God is a miracle working God. Say it, my God is a miracle working God. Oh, yeah. God got the wicked person's eggs and put them in my grandfather's belly. God get the wicked company's potatoes and put them in the Bible school student's stomach. The wealth of the wicked is laid up for the just. Now, people say God's judging America. I got questions. Anybody see last year when we did 40 days of glory at the church? Anybody remember what I said at the beginning of that? That why, why are we doing 40 days of glory? I had somebody say, are people going to come? I wasn't doing it to have people come. It wasn't a 40-day revival. It, the Lord said, I want you to preach every night and speak and believe for breakthroughs in the nation. I think it was six or seven or nine days in, Roe versus Wade got overturned. You know, there are Christians that are so negative. If they touch the hood of your car, your battery would die. Roe versus Wade was a 50-year curse on this nation. When did it get did it get overturned in the 50s and now we put it back in? No. It got overturned last year. Then the EPA got slapped down. Then, it, then the, uh, gun rights upheld in the Supreme Court. How can somebody be so negative that they can't see that God is actually giving America one breakthrough after another breakthrough, opening the way up for us to fulfill the work of the ministry? God's not judging America. God is sending a revival to America, and Oregon will not be left out.
I mean, all my, all my judgment-happy friends. You want to talk doctrine? I'll show you in the Old Testament that when God got upset with a region, including pagan places like Nineveh, he didn't burn it to the ground. He put his word in someone's mouth and told them to declare it. When God's upset with what's going on in a nation, he doesn't send cancer. He doesn't send COVID. He doesn't send fire. He sends revival. He sends people charged with the word of God to turn that place to God. Where are they tonight? Where are the men and women that are going to say, Lord, use me to bless my generation? When God's upset with what's going on in the nation, he sends people to bring his word. Central Africa was bound in witchcraft. West Africa was bound in witchcraft. No Christians. There'd be people praying in America and Canada and having the Lord lay places on their heart that they had to look it up on a map to find where it was. Go there. Tell them. What did they do? What did T.L. Osborne do when he went to those countries like India? Shame on all you people for worshiping false gods. God's angry at you. No. The gospel means good news. Not bad news. Good news. It's going to be bad news after the trumpet sounds. But right now, it's good news. That though you're in sin, you don't have to die in sin. So T.L. Osborne comes over to all those people in witchcraft and animism, worshiping their ancestors. How can anyone do that? How can you people live walking around with no clothes on? No. Jesus loves you. God sent his son to die for you. He loves you. If you call on him, he'll open your blind eyes tonight. He'll unstop your deaf ears. When he went to Jamaica on his first meeting after he left Oregon, T.L. Osborne and Daisy Osborne, they brought the deaf school to come listen to him preach. Not to come get prayed for, just like entertainment. You know, there's a free event, so they bring the deaf school down. 66 deaf students, deaf mutes. T.L. Osborne and his wife Daisy prayed for each one, one by one, till 2.30 in the morning. And 62 of the 66 heard and spoke. And they got the other four the next night. And the next night, the teachers got in line for prayer because they needed new jobs because the government shut the deaf school down. Amen. If anybody had a right to be ticked off with the earth, it's Jesus. He came from heaven. Now, if you come from some beautiful farm in eastern Oregon where there's hardly any crime, you have all families, high church attendance, and you go to, to downtown Oakland, California. You'd be like, what, what, what's wrong with you people? Jesus didn't come from eastern Oregon to Oakland. He came from heaven to earth. He could have been in a bad mood every day. Look at you freaking people. You smell? What's this road made out of? Dirt? Haven't you ever heard of gold? But he didn't come to judge. He came with compassion. He dried people's tears. And he said, the same work you see me do, you should do. Tell them the good news that I died for them. And if they call on me, I'll pick them up out of the pit and put their feet on the rock to stay. Come unto me, all ye that are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I'm meek and lowly at heart. 
you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is, and my burden is. So you get all those, how quickly Christians forget. We have a 50-year breakthrough last year on Roe versus Wade, let alone all the other court cases that are arguably more important. One governor after another slapped down that's trying to limit Second Amendment. Now the First Amendment stuff, where the government's getting destroyed in court. For, for Then you have Elon Musk, another breakthrough, where there's now an open, free speech platform. And God answers all those prayers. you got people, I'm telling you, in heaven, they'll find something to complain about. Telling you things, you know, it used to be brighter here than what it was if you were here. <laughs> Music's too loud, to be honest with you. Can't even sleep. They just worship night and day. I... <laughs> Professional complainers. But if you get your eyes pointed in the right direction, you'll see that God's actually in the midst of doing a mighty work in America. And it's just getting started. These next three years, God's going to give us a window to do in three years what in the old days would take 40 or 50 years. We're going to go on a tear, me and you together. We're going to get on fire tonight, and we're going to go on a tear through this nation called the United States of America. Canada is going to be shaken by the power of God. America is going to be shaken by the power of God. The devil is not going to write the last chapter. God said, I'll have the last say. In the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Somebody say, I'm seeing it. If you'd open your eyes, you'd see it. The NFL Player of the Week in, the, in one of the NFL weeks this year was at my church Sunday night, came forward to give his life to Jesus Christ. Asked if he could take a picture with me. I didn't even know who he was. Found out later. And he's an NFL Player of the Week. Gave his life to the Lord. Then uh, on the NFL Network, there's a player named Demario from the New Orleans Saints. This is on the NFL Network where when it was time for the press conference, he brought his Bible. And I'm going to play you what he said. See, if people see this, if you ignore this, you deserve to get left, left to miss this whole thing. With your little negative self. God's judging us. Actually, if you look at every measurable statistic, people are the most open. Generation, well, it's not millennials anymore. What is it, Generation Z? Read the statistics about how they feel. Less likely, not that tattoos matter. Let's like, they've seen what their parents did. They don't want tattoos. They want to get married. The wife wants to stay home and raise kids by and large. They're rejecting. Gavin Newsom just did an interview that he's ticked off because his son listens to Joe Rogan and Jordan Peterson. Yeah, that was this week. Yeah, they're rebelling in the other direction. I hate you, Dad. I'm listening to conservatives. Everybody say the pendulum is swinging the other way. I can prove it. Court cases and everything else. This was on the NFL Network. I would have loved to have seen the producers just off camera. <laughs> this guy deserves a crown. This is a better message than 95% of people heard on Sunday morning. Packed with faith. Watch this. This is last Sunday in the United States. Play it. Tens of millions of views. It's better with volume. (laughs) 
Ben, I gave you literally like four hours notice. See, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door. Uh, I started to realize something. Um, Man, we play this game on Sundays. And it's really the Lord's Day. And on the day we should be worshiping the Lord, a lot of times players are getting worshiped. And we get to go on this ball field. So since so many of us didn't get to go to church today, I have a word that I want to share. I know this is a little untraditional. So like I said, buckle up. Uh, Revelations 3.20 says, See, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and dine with him and eat with him and he with me. I want to tell y'all about a knock that I heard this week. A lot of people don't know this, but on Friday, my daughter, she's four years old, she had her third uh, epilepsy seizure attack. It's my same daughter who uh, survived retinoblastoma. Uh, she's been totally clear to that. But she had her, her third um, seizure, and it's been almost two years. She was uh, about a month away. If she would have had no seizures for one more month, then she would have been off the medicine. But now we have to start that clock all the way over. It was on Friday, and we was a bunch of kids were over at the house, and she was playing, and I noticed something was off. Um, and I told her mom I thought she was having a seizure. Her mom was pretty good. She, she saw it, my wife. And we took her in her room, didn't want to cause a scene. And she started to foam at the mouth. And uh, it was worse, her worst seizure. For 30 minutes, um, she seized. Um, she wouldn't come, and we had to call the uh, paramedics. They came. And so over the course of time, it had been a total of 30 minutes. They got her in. My wife got in the paramedics with her. I got behind them driving. Um, you can imagine all the thoughts that's racing through your mind. The last sight you see of your daughter is she's totally out of it. Um, got to the hospital and my wife told me that my daughter stopped breathing in the car twice. Um, so I'm, of course, praying. We get to the hospital. They put, give a bunch of medicine. They should seize the stop. She's laying there. And at this point, if she sees for 30 minutes, you, 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 you start to fear there could be development issues that could mess with her brain. Um, you know, she stopped breathing. If there was no oxygen going to her brain, you know, you're starting to think about her speech be slurred or anything um, or worse. So we prayed and we prayed and she had medicine and, and my wife and I had to stay overnight at the hospital. And in the middle of the night, probably about three o'clock, I heard a knock. And the knock, the knock was my daughter. I prayed for her. I said, God, let this just be an attack from the enemy that's just trying to be a distraction and let him have overplayed his hand, and my daughter come back stronger than before. When I heard my daughter talk in the middle of the night, and my daughter, she doesn't have any develop, development issues, praise God. She doesn't have any slurred speech you know, prior to this. She woke up talking clearer than she was talking before. Now, anyone who deals with up to know that it takes a little few days for them to come back. You know, they usually can get back to normal wherever they were, um, but it takes a couple of days. They're groggy. It's a lot because what their body is like, it's like the TV just static in their brain. She was talking clearer than before. And it was 3 o'clock, and we heard her talk, and we let her talk for about 20 minutes. And we said, hey, baby, it's, it's, it's nighttime. Let's go back to sleep. You know, and I just prayed. I started saying, praise God, praise God. The next morning when she got up, my daughter was so sharp. She was able to talk to her, me and her mom. I mean, clear conversation. She's sharp for a four-year-old. No stuttering. All her words clear. And my daughter, like I said, my daughter is already sharp. She was sharper than before. And if any of, if any of you were able to have a conversation with my daughter, you wouldn't know anything had ever happened. 
So we had a birthday party for my seven-year-old daughter that day. She got to be released from the hospital and she came back home. And it was as if nothing was happening. She was playing with the kids the day before. And she had the worst seizure that she had ever had. And the next day, she's back out there playing with the kids. Now, of course, we can't let her get overstimulated. We have to keep bringing her in. We have to keep cooling her down. Can't let her do too much just because of protocol. But when I tell you, uh, I, I got a chance to see hear a knock from God. And what I want to share is we get to play this game, and it's great. This is NFL Network. And there's so many amazing things that happen in that game. And everybody wants to hear about them. But when we lead this game, we go back to being regular people. And regular people are living life. And people are waiting for a knock. And the word says who Jesus is, he's knocking at the door. All you got to do is get up. And so on the way, man, I'm, I'm, I'm nervous, but I'm praying. And I'm trusting. And I'm believing. And I'm asking for my daughter to make it through. I'm asking that she's better than before. And God gave me just what I asked for plus something. I was blown away. And at that point, I knew, well, the game is already, it's the game is going to take care of itself. My, my knock had already been, been answered. And I just want people to know, like, if you got stuff going on in your life, lay it before the Lord. Lay it before the Lord and trust. And be expecting of a knock. Because the word says what you have to do is you have to get up and open the door. He's not going to open the door for you. He's going to knock. But you have to be listening and waiting for the knock. And when you see it, you have to get up and open the door. And your blessing is going to be there. Now, I'm going to be here to talk about football next week. I wish y'all well. Happy Sunday and praise God. Thank y'all. That wasn't the only one on the NFL Network. God's judging America. It's just getting some more wicked. Did the NHL announce that they're canceling all pride, anything, for this upcoming season? Yes, they did. Do you know why? Because the Russian Orthodox players that play told the coaches, we won't support it. And so from the Board of Governors, they made the decision there will be no gay pride anything in the Canadian NHL run in Canada. That flipped around. You want to hear what else? The Texas Rangers baseball team canceled, canceled any gay pride anything this, this year. You want to know why? They've got a pitcher named Jacob deGrom who wrote it into his contract that there can be no gay pride celebrations while he's a player, or they have to release him and pay out his full contract if they do. The Christians, you want to know what I see happening? I see the generation that I grew up in of lazy, quiet, afraid Christians. I see them giving way to a new generation of strong, bold, faith-filled, vocal Christians that are going to give the devil the worst year that he's ever had. If you're a part of that army, stand on your feet one final time. Clap your hands under the Lord. Vocal, bold, wild, Shadrachs, Meshachs, Abednegoes, Davids, Elijahs, Elishas. That's what you are. Say it out loud. I am not Peter before Pentecost. I am. Peter after Pentecost. Say, I'm bold. I'm unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because I know it is the power of God and the only hope for my generation. Now lift your hands and just thank God out of your mouth for about 30 seconds. Thank Him that His anointing is coming upon you.
thank him that his anointing is coming upon you. I'm not going to watch other people be used by God. I'm going to be used by God. Use me, O Lord. Use me, O Lord. In my sphere. Open a door for me. Use me where I'm at. Use me. Whatever industry the Lord has you in, use it in that industry. You can feel the anointing in here. Just with your hands lifted. If you're filled with the Spirit, begin to pray in the Spirit. If you're not filled with the Spirit, just say something like, Jesus, I love you. Lord, use me. Lord, fill me with the Holy Ghost. Change me by your power. Thank you for... I'm not, I'm not going to spend my life struggling with sin. I have freedom from sin. I'm going to live... I'm going to put my whole body as a weapon of righteousness, like it says in Romans 6. My hands are weapons against sickness. My mouth is a weapon to preach the gospel. The devil's not going to use me. God's going to use me. I'm not going to struggle with the devil. I'm going to cast out devils. I'm not going to struggle with sickness. I want to heal the sick. This is so wonderful to see the anointing's coming upon people right now. The fire is falling on people right now to be used of God. To be used of God. Call unto Him and He will answer you. Show you great and mighty things that you know not. Thank you for the wind of heaven blowing through. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Come on, 60 more seconds if you're filled with the Spirit. Pray in the Spirit. Strengthen that anointing. Prindiana Mondia. Holy ground, every hand lifted. Receive of this anointing right now.
have this family from British Columbia come around. They stand right at the altar. Everybody that came and that crew from British Columbia. Father, I thank you that you've shaken the west coast of Canada before with Charles Price and other great men and women of God. And I thank you that you're, you'll do it again. We lift Canada up today. Thank you that the wheels are falling off Pharaoh's chariot. Thank you that every wicked plan against that country, Lord, that you're taking care of that plan right now. That your church, you'll raise up a strong church in Canada. In Jesus' name. Phil, in Jesus' name. I lose the fire. I'd leave you alone if you weren't Canadian, but I'm giving you more. Phil, more. That's it, more. Let it go right into you. The baptism of the Holy Ghost. In Jesus' name. More, more. More than you can hold. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Normally I don't push people down, but Canadians I push down because they need it. In Jesus' name. 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 Be filled with the Holy Ghost. Be filled with the Holy Ghost. Filled with the Holy Ghost. Jesus, my name. In the name of Jesus. You need a Trudeau level anointing. To deal with that wickedness up there. In Jesus' name. Totally reprobate government. But you'll overcome it in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. God will bless you. God will bless that whole crew this year. In Jesus' name. Now, if you key into the Spirit, if you key into the Spirit, there won't be one person standing here that doesn't have the greatest blessing they've ever had in their whole life hit before December 31st of this year. God is going to close out this year with a double exclamation point. He's going to crown the year with His goodness. Even if you've already seen great things this year, I tell you, the best is yet to come. If you believe it, shout, I receive it. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here, and particularly in the first hour, when I was preaching on getting on the straight path, you know, if the Bible says, then again will you see the difference between the righteous and the wicked. And Jesus said, if you're lukewarm, I'll vomit you out of my mouth. If I were you, I'd get out of the middle. What's lukewarm? One hand on the cross, one hand on the world. Enough of church so you're not cold, but enough of the world so you're not on fire. If there was ever a day where you wanted to be sure that you're on fire for God, I want to ask you that. Could you look me in the eyes and say, Jonathan, I'm living on fire for God. There's not one sin separating me from a holy God. Or if you were honest, like Oregon people are, would you say, you know, I, I have compromised. I've allowed, I've allowed a little bit of Oregon in. And today I want to expel everything that's of this world and culture that's wicked. And I want, to re I want to give my whole life as a living sacrifice to Jesus Christ. 
And I, today's the day of salvation. I'm not. I'm going to start trying to do better. That'll get you in hell. You don't try to do better. You repent of sin and receive Jesus Christ. The Bible says, "As many as received Him, John 1:12, to them He gave power to become the sons and daughters of God." You can't do it in your own strength, but God will give you His strength right now. If you say, "Jonathan, that's me," and I want to do that right now, put your hand up high all over this place. We're awesome. Man, that's a lot. Very quickly, I don't think it's gonna, I don't think we're gonna have to sing just as I am three times. Everyone lifted a hand, come to the altar right now. We're gonna pray. Come right now. Every hand that was lifted, come. Stand at the altar. Make your decision sure. Come out of the crowd. Be ye separate. Touch not the unclean thing. I will be your God. You will be my people. I believe you're gonna have a great second week of camp meeting. I believe it'll be better than week one. Keep coming. Come as close as you can. What a great, what a great altar call to close the week one out. Keep coming. Come as close as you can. I want to say to this youth group that's been, some of you have been in all two services all week. I really admire the youth ministry here. You guys are a cut above. You're not dummies. You're great, great people. You're going to have a great life as you stick close to God. I love you very much. Very proud of you. Keep coming. God bless you. So glad you're here. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord God. Now, this is a very simple prayer, but very powerful prayer. While you're praying it, God will clear whatever chemicals are still in your system that entice you back to drugs. God will make you a new creature. So it's not just God writing your name up in heaven so that you get a pass when you die. It's also victory here, victory over drugs, victory over alcohol, victory over anger, victory over sexual immorality. That's not a gradual thing. God will give you that now. Say this out loud. Don't mumble it. Say it from your heart. Heavenly Father, I've come forward tonight to give you my life. I repent of sin. I believe in my heart. You raised Jesus from the dead. I confess with my mouth, Jesus is Lord and my Savior. Right now, I receive forgiveness by the blood of Jesus. I am saved. I am forgiven. I am clean. In Jesus' name, amen. Keep your hands lifted. Let me bless you. Anybody that's standing at the altar, that you have unclean stuff in your blood from your past life, the Lord gives you a brand new clean bloodstream supernaturally right now. Any opiates that are in your system or whatever, they're burnt out by fire now. In Jesus' name. Go right into you right now. The fire of the Holy Ghost. That's right. That's it right there. That's right. Keep talking. I think speaking in tongues is of the devil. Oh, yeah, because you hear that all the time in bars and clubs. You sound like a really super bright person. Do you have any other thoughts? You should write them in a journal and mail them to me. 
Holy Ghost fire. I loose the angels of the Lord to go with you wherever you go. To protect you, to keep you, to minister to your body like they did to Elijah. Make you strong. Strong. Lord's going to give you a miracle. Put, put this hand on your belly. Put the other one where your heart is. Lord gives you three miracles in your lower body. In G, That's it. Go right through you. And then into your heart. Brand new heart. In Jesus' name. Be healed. Be healed. In Jesus' mighty name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' mighty name. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Nobody leaves this altar to battle depression again. Nobody. You battled depression before 1020, but you don't battle it after 1020. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus, I'm going to leave this as an early Christmas blessing. In the name of Jesus, nobody that stands before me at the altar ever goes back to reho, rehab, methadone clinic, or prison. Ever. In Jesus' name. Unless it's for preaching the gospel or whatever. That, that's different. That's an honorable time in prison. Praise God. You have a very ugly laugh, but keep doing you. Everybody at this altar, be blessed. Be blessed. Father, thank you for beautifying people. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, we love you. Thank you for joy unspeakable, full of glory. Thank you for healing, kidneys, liver, pancreas, blood, central nervous system. Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. How many at the altar can tell the Lord's touched you? Now, you're as saved as I'm saved. Your sins are as forgiven as mine are forgiven. God doesn't have a 10 church service program. And after the ticket gets punched the 10th time, now you're in. You know, God's an interesting individual. He takes you at your word. You make a vow, he'll take you at it. You're going to live that way for 35 years and expect me just to believe. Nah, he'll believe you. Just like he expects you to believe him. You say it, he believes you. So you're, you have everything I have, you have. I just might know about more of it than you know. But you're going to live in victory all the days of your life. Can you say amen? amen. Praise God. Thank you for sharing the Jonathan Shuttlesworth podcast. If you're interested in supporting our mission to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ to our generation, please visit RevivalToday.com and click on Give Now to become one of our monthly partners. Thank you in advance. We hope to see you soon.